0: (laughs) Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I'm your host. Every week I get to interview a beautiful, courageous, strong woman who is willing to share her ugly and beautiful with the world. Must Love Self is a podcast, a movement, and a decision. It is about women lifting other women up, women holding each other women accountable, and women finding their way along this path. I hope you enjoy. La 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 Okay, so I have, I was thinking about this today. Wendy Solganic is on here and she is actually a person that if I had to live like on a commune, I would be like, I want you as part of my people. <laughs> Your energy is infectious. Your voice is beautiful and booming. And I cannot wait to get into this with you.
1: Oh, I love you so much. That is the nicest thing you could say.
0: It's true. I mean, how many people would you actually want to live with forever? And you're one of them because you're creative and you're smart and you'll say it like it is. And I just find that to be so respectful. Thank you. Okay. So before we get into it, I want to ask you, why did you say yes to this uncomfortable conversation? So
1: I feel like the conversations that I know I need to have and that I want to have and that are important for other people to hear, I feel like podcasting has allowed me to tell those stories in a way that other people can benefit from them. And this has happened with other stories of things that I've gone through in my life. And I just knew that at one point, someone was going to ask me to tell this specific story in a s- semi-public type of forum like a podcast. And so it was very natural when you asked me to come on your podcast about self-love and, and the things that you talk about on this podcast, it was like, I knew it was going to happen at some point. I didn't know who would be the host, but I knew that someone would eventually ask. So of course I said, yes,
0: I'm so grateful you said yes. And you know, what I really love about that is but telling of our story and how important that is, you know, you read mine and you you know about my writing of my stories. I think that our generation actually has this privilege and responsibility that our parents did not have to have the ability and the tools to tell our stories when I think a lot of them, especially our mothers, did not. And my grandmother, I, I can't remember what your history is, but they were in survival. So Right, and it's just
1: the technology wasn't there. Now, you know, it used to be like you'd have to get a publisher and write a book to tell your story. And now we're all free to tell our stories. As long as we're brave, we can tell our stories. That's what it's about. Everyone has stories. So it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're just, we're going to take advantage of the fact that this is like a new world.
0: And you truly do not know who is going to listen and receive your story in a way that will change their entire life.
1: Yes. So let's do it. I want to ask,
0: how old are you? 50 years old. Congratulations. Thank you. Is there been an age so far that you've been uncomfortable with or you've always been okay with your age? I'm actually okay with aging. I don't know why, but I'm pretty much fine with it. What is your opinion on people that you've been around that don't like to admit their age? And why do you think they're doing that? Well, I definitely
1: think they're doing it because there's a huge focus in the culture that we live in on youth. So it's like if, if your whole life you've only been fed a story that the only valuable people in the society are the young people be, and it's only because of the way that they look, look, the reality is young people are prettier and more attractive and more handsome than aging people Because we've been taught that it's totally subconscious at this point, we only value that and we put so much value on the way people look. I mean, it's literally at this point, it's like your value to society. It's like 98% how you look and 2% like other things. (laughs) It's so out of proportion. It's so out of whack.
0: It's so true, Wendy, because People that are looked at by society as beautiful or good looking or handsome, there is a pass that they have that absolutely it's a, like the, right, it's a privilege of VIP that puts them up to a special place. You see it in celebrity, you see it in social media, you see it in our families and how we talk about, oh my yes. God, she's so beautiful. Yes. And we're not talking about, you know, it's not until there's a pandemic or someone's medical issue is so big that you need someone that has got other skills and you're like, no, that's what I want. I want somebody who is really, really smart to help me with this really important thing.
1: Yes. I mean, you even see it in the art world that I inhabit now, young people, beautiful people, they cash in on their youth and their beauty. Even when people are trying to sell art, believe it or not. So it's like, you could be looking at different people's Instagram feeds, let's say, and you'll see artists who really focus on their own image alongside the art as a sales technique to sell their brand. It's like, look at me, I'm young and beautiful and thin, and I have long, pretty hair and I, and I'm a painter. So, you know, follow me. And it's just so interesting and it's so subconscious, but the reality is, is there's other cultures on earth that don't value those things. And they value maturity and life experience and age. And it just isn't the culture that we live in. So I know that there are other cultures and they value other things.
0: And so as long as I, you know, know that I get to choose what I value. I love, I love what you just said. I get to choose what I value. That's one of the things I work with my clients about is that we get to decide what success is. I get to decide what that looks like. And you get to decide what you value. I get to decide who I want in my world of social media. Will you mention your IG? Because it's so beautiful. Who's your IG? What's your IG handle? It's at willa.wanders. This Instagram account, this is
1: really becoming something that is of value to me and that I want to focus on. And what am I really going to name it? And I thought long and hard and I've always really loved the name Willa. When I was a child, my mother told me that that was one of the names that she was considering naming me. And I was Mom! always regretful. Right. Like, you, you Wendy? How'd you go from Willa to, Willa to Wendy? Right. You almost named me Willa. Like, that's an incredibly cool name. I was like, okay, I'm going to put Willa in the name. And then the name Wendy actually means wanderer. And I really do feel that that part of that name does really speak to my life journey and who I am, even though I don't wander as much geographically, I do wander a lot as far as my interests. So I could be very interested in one thing for a few years, really passionately. And then I wander over to something else. So I kind of was like, I put together this favorite name of mine that I wish was my name with the word wanders, and it sounded good. And then it's stuck and it, it's made me happy ever since.
0: And your account is gorgeous. And I have to share something with you that is totally connected to must love self. So I have a tattoo. I have many tattoos, but I have a tattoo on the back of my neck. Why it's in Japanese, I don't know. I don't have a connection to Japan. I don't speak Japanese, but I loved the way it visually looked as symbol. And it means wanderer. And I made sure I went into like dry cleaners in New York to make sure, like, please tell me I don't have like asshole on the back of my neck. And (laughs) I had wanderer. And so I've always been a wanderer. My soul's a wanderer. I have a wandering spiritual soul that is constantly looking and seeking connection yeah. Which is why I love muscle of self so much because every interview I have, I find what I'm looking for, but I was standing in the shower of my perfectly beautiful home with my perfectly beautiful world that I created in my first marriage. And when I got out, I asked my then husband, do you know what my tattoo means on the back of my neck? And he said, no, I've never even considered it. I had been married and with this person for over 12 years. And he had no idea what that was on the back of my neck. It's not hidden. It's right there. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be in a life anymore when the things that are so prominent and important to me are of no significance to the people I'm with. And so it's so interesting that you said that because I think part of must love self for me is honoring that worth and voice within ourselves, which I know you have found along the way. So I can't wait to get to it.
1: I didn't know you had a wanderer tattoo, but it makes a lot of sense, and mm-hmm. I think that probably that's what our connection definitely relies upon is we do both have a wandering soul, and we're always seeking, and we're always wanting to learn, and it's such a fundamental part of who we are. So. And excited, right? When we find yeah, it, we're excited. like, yes, something. Yes.
0: Okay, so I want to. I know we don't like scales and rating, but we. I want to just get an idea of where we are in the three areas that must love self focuses on. I want you to give me between one and 10, 10 the best, one is the worst, what your own body image is of yourself, not do you think your body is a 10 or a one, but what you see when you look at yourself, would you give yourself in terms of your body image, a one between one and 10 today?
1: Well, so for me, I don't know how, for me personally, what I have settled on at this point in my life is something called body neutrality, Yes, which means that I'm not judging myself based on my physical appearance. If 10 would be, I never judge myself on my physical appearance. And one would be, I'm constantly judging myself. I would probably put myself at this point at like a
0: six. I like that way you said it because my real question is, am I a monster myself or am I kind to myself? Not, am I walking around like a model? I I love the idea of body neutrality. I've talked about that with other guests that like, I'm not trying to focus all my energy. On my body? Well,
1: if that's what the question is, I'd say I'm like a 10 because I actually don't focus any of my energy anymore on trying to change my physical appearance, either, you know, like change the size or shape of my body, because those are two different things. We're going to get into that. Tell me what your lowest number has been. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was a zero. It was like my, I mean, this is why you asked me on. I mean, I was 100% completely and utterly obsessed and taken in by diet culture and
0: exercise culture i was it was everything so we're gonna get there what would you same rating scale i'm really mean to myself as a one, 10 is i'm aware of my beauty not the social realm but like of my soul and being a good human to myself what would you rate your worth today your ability to know your own worth as far as my worth or physical appearance, not body. We're, oh, on, we're on our worth. worth. Like I need to be treated well. I need to be. Oh, yeah. Nine. I mean, awesome. nine or ten. I mean,
1: just huge shift over the last four years. Was it ever lower? Oh,
0: definitely, definitely. We're gonna get into it more, but your worth was affected by your body stuff.
1: Well, I had totally become consumed with the idea that my value in the world was dependent on me having a small body of a certain shape. Okay. I was deprogrammed from that cult. I know that my worth has nothing to do with the size or shape of my body. Now, does that mean that it does not still affect me?
0: No, it still affects me, but I know that that's not real. I love that. Um, last one, and I'm pretty sure I know this answer, but what would you rate your ability between one and 10 of your own ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself? Much higher than ever before,
1: probably around seven. I'm not going to say it's perfect all the time. Here's what is perfect. If I'm sensing that something is wrong, and I'm not listening to my intuition, I catch myself. And I ask myself now, What is your intuition telling you? Because that voice is the most important one. So if you feel like something isn't right, you have to speak up and say something. I used to do a lot of dancing in my head with trying to sort of squash down my own needs, really. I mean, this happens all the time. And now I'm just much more aware of it. It's like, oh, something's coming up for me. I'm not feeling good about this agreement I made, let's say with another person and I need to speak up. So I've known for a long time that when there's conflict, that it's better to go toward the conflict than away from the conflict. But I'm so conflict averse naturally that it's only recently that I've really been more able, I guess, to more consistently go toward conflict. But then again, we've been in a pandemic and it's not like I even have that many people or that many interactions, but even the ones that I do, cause I am now I'm working pretty much full time on a, on a business. And there are things that come up with people and we do have to talk
0: about them. And I'm much, much more able to. Have you ever experienced a lot of women I've spoken to, including myself, When it comes to using our voice, when we get the courage to use our voice, when we know, when we listen to that voice, we know we need to speak up. Do you ever experience judgment by others, whether female or male, that you are bossy or bitchy or who do you think you are? Have you ever gotten negative feedback by using your voice?
1: Wow. The only thing that I can really say about that is I am sure that I have rubbed plenty of people the wrong way who have had all sorts of thoughts about me and how I operate in the world. I, it just comes along with being someone who is outspoken, who isn't afraid to use their voice. I can't say that that has ever stopped me from using my voice, whether it's something that I, I may regret later that I use my voice for something because I have some big regrets about how I used my voice for a decade, but it
0: never stops me. It's not for me that it stops me. I'm glad it doesn't stop you. I have just found it's just an unfair scale in the world that I've experienced when it's a man typically that is being outspoken, like you said, or is speaking up and saying when something needs to be done. They're looked at, at least in my experience, as a leader, as confident as he's got this going on. And I'm looked at as bitchy. And then can you bring it down? And that for me, I'm noticing also goes with the body stuff, which is that a lot of the world wants me, wants us to be smaller, to take up less space, to be less loud, to be less needy. I notice that in my marriage, I notice that in society, I notice that in family, I find that I've gotten to a place at 42 where I'm like, I don't care that you're not comfortable with my intensity. You know, I'm not for everyone. I'm like, and I want to know before we get into your stuff, as a mother of 3 and specifically as a mother of two daughters, have you considered any of these three areas while raising your kid? I mean, (laughs) every day. I mean,
1: part of the whole experience of going through what I went through is that I went through it with my daughters and it affected them in a variety of ways. And this, you know, I don't want to tell their story because this is not the time or the place to tell their stories, but I can only say that I thank God that I was deprogrammed when I was because all three of us were sinking ships.
0: I'm so glad you said that. I wanna go to your childhood where you learned what a woman is supposed to look like, act like, not act like, not look like. What messages did you hear growing up?
1: So it's such an interesting question because all I can say is that my entire life Like from the moment I was born, the moment I was birthed, the message was, you are too big. I don't know when people started saying it. I just know that there was an energy around me from my parents, probably mostly from my mom, probably secondarily from her mom who lived with us like half the year, that my appetite was too much that what I ingested into my body needed to be controlled by them. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you stories, but there was never, ever, ever a moment in my life where I ever remember this not being a really big issue. When I was younger, if I would eat at a friend's house, I remember my mom calling the other mother in advance of the dinner and saying, make sure Wendy doesn't eat too much.
0: I have a question. Did you know she did that at the time? Yes. Yes. I can't even put words into my mouth of how that must have felt, but can you give us a little bit was
1: super damaging? And the thing is, I didn't even understand until the last four years when I've unpacked the whole thing. So I used to think that I was a food addict. I used to think that there was something wrong with me and that there was something wrong with my appetite. And what I've come to understand is that there was never anything wrong with me or my appetite. It was that there were forces that were trying to control me and it put it into my head that food and things that I like to eat were scarce. As soon as that all got lifted from me, I have never had any issue with my appetite or what I choose to eat just even things like good foods and bad foods. It's like, sure, you, you could eat salad, but you can't eat ice cream. And so it used to be, I mean, from when I was very, very young, I used to wake up really early in the morning and I used to sneak downstairs and I used to pull the ice cream out of the freezer and eat it before people woke up. Or I would stay up after everyone went to bed and I would just binge because what was going on during the day when my mother was awake and present is that everything was controlled. The food I ate, like what it was and how much it was, it was all under her supervision. This is such a bizarre thing. If she was upstairs and I was downstairs and I wanted to eat a snack and I opened the refrigerator door, she would yell down from the upstairs, Wendy, what are you eating? I can't even. Was, um, how old were you? Oh, I mean, the, I'm like, when I tell you literally from birth until I left the house, but before I even left the house, I was already fully in diet culture because I thought
0: I was gigantic. Did you have siblings? I had three older brothers. Was this put upon them as well? I don't think so. Because you're, a girl. I
1: don't know. I can't say 100% for sure. They definitely all have their own body image struggles. But I could not really speak for them about how that affected them.
0: Can you tell us a little bit? Because I can't I mean, I I had tears in my eyes when you were talking and I wrote there was never anything wrong with me. And if I had to choose one statement for the world to hear over and over and over is there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong. nothing wrong with you. But everyone tells us
1: like, everyone tells us that there is on so many levels on I mean, every level, about, right? Not just about not just about body your body. No, no, it's, you know, you don't, you don't donate enough of your time and your money. You, you don't do enough good in the world. Like, like it's endless. The list you don't do, you know, you don't do enough spiritually. You don't do enough religiously. And, and at some point
0: I was just like, you don't dress I, well enough. Your house, right, what enough, am I right. chasing? Exactly. And here's the other question. Who? Are we trying to prove this to? Right. I don't know. And so ultimately, so tell me growing up in that extreme controlled environment. And I wrote down on the side when you're talking, this has been passed on by generations. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. So there's something that I started really realizing when I wrote my memoir is the generational trauma that we yes. carry with us. And what I love about this is that you are passing on to your children a new. Yes. A new generational. I'm hoping to break that cycle. It's our responsibility. Yes. Right. So we get to be the voice in our children's heads saying there's absolutely nothing wrong with you as is. there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say or change about you to make me love you more or less. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. So I want to go into as you're growing up, as you're a teenager, you're feeling this at home. What are you feeling like in school and socially? So.
1: I'm always thinking in my head, I'm too big. I'm too big. I'm bigger than everybody else. You know, maybe I was, I mean, I just might be a bigger person. But why is that bad? Right. Who cares? It was like, to say like the level of discomfort in your own body, it's just constantly with you. I remember going on diets starting about age 15,
0: You know what I want to ask you? Cause you're so knowledgeable in this and I want you to just go for it and tell your whole story about this. So I talked to a psychotherapist who specializes in eating disorders and I asked her straight up, are there any healthy diets? And she said, no, she said healthy diets is disordered eating and what's really really uncomfortable. (laughs) So let me just make this clear. I choose today as someone who's recovering and recovered from having disordered eating I choose to put food in my body that works for my body and that I feel good about and that I'm not measuring and, you know, cause I have my own stuff and that I feel makes my body feel good. Right. So I'm thinking of it as like an instrument. Like I want to put something in it. That's going to make for the things I want to do in my life. Right. What she was saying is basically all these diets that we all did is really just disordered eating we all had eating disorders by what we were eating and not eating and restricting and trying and changing and and all that. But our society, the diet culture that you talk about tells us you're going to get the life you want when you reach this level through this disordered eating. Yes. So take us through your
1: disordered eating journey. So this is going to be a very long conversation if you want to go through the history of this. But when I was 15, I went to my first WW meeting. And I remember standing in line, I hadn't even registered yet. And the woman in front of me turned around and she said, Oh my gosh, how much weight have you lost? And I said, what are you talking about? This is my first time at a meeting. So I tell that story to just Help people to understand that I showed up at a WW meeting to say, I mean, it wouldn't have even mattered if I was twice the size I was, there was nothing wrong with me, but objectively somebody would have looked at me when I was 15 years old and never thought I should start restricting the food that I eat. But because the messages were the smaller, the better. And they were not just coming from magazines and television. They were coming within my own home. I showed up that meeting and that was where my serious restrictions started. I was really good. Like I'm a really good student and I learned that program really well. And I'm really good at following instructions. And I always wanted to be the A student. And so my life became, I guess this is a way to shorten the whole story. But basically what happened is my life became a series of yo-yo diets. So I would find one diet. I would do it really, really well. I would lose weight and I would restrict. And then eventually the hunger signals in my body, the starvation, you know, your body releases hormones and it tells you to eat because essentially any diet that you're on is starvation, so even a 12 that's what people don't understand when you eat 12 to 1500 calories a day that is starvation level. So I would just eventually lose my shit and start eating again and it would be it I thought it was a binge if I ate off of the diet even one cookie I thought that was a binge like I'm binging because in my mind already very quickly my idea was like, I should be able to eat this reduced number of calories for the rest of my life.
0: When you're doing all of this, do you think you were aware of what your goal was? Well, I mean, my goal was just to be smaller so that
1: I would be loved and accepted. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. That I would feel comfortable. You tied
0: love and acceptance and just give us a painting of the picture because you're in a long, long marriage. At what point Did your partner come into your life? I know for me, it's never affected anything, but did that change any of this about being loved and accepted?
1: So I got very lucky. I am in a long loving relationship with a person who does not care what the size and shape of my body is. And I just got very lucky like that because I easily could have married one of my boyfriends that I had before that. And I know for a fact that the size and shape of my body would have been an issue for them. I mean, it was an issue for them when we dated. I don't know why it wouldn't have been an issue while we were married, but I, I just got very, very lucky. And I you get the right validation
0: person. from your mother or the outside world when you were getting to your smaller sizes. Oh, you- I mean, absolutely. I mean, my parents used to have this thing where they
1: would bribe me to lose weight. This is just a perfect example. I would go away to college, I would gain weight, I would come home they were disappointed in me. I was disappointed in myself. And they would say, do you want to go on a diet? We'll buy you this really nice piece of jewelry. in ad- if you agree to lose weight in advance of you actually losing the weight, this is kind of like a bribe. Like, oh, it was almost as if you thought to yourself, you know, if I lose X amount of pounds, then I'll buy myself this pair of like designer jeans or like a designer handbag or a piece of Julia as like a present for myself. But what my parents would do would be like, we're going to buy you this because we really want to buy this for you. But you have to agree to lose weight. You have to agree to go on a diet. So every single summer that I came home from college, I would basically starve myself all summer until I lost X amount of pounds again. And then I would go back to school and between the stress of school and just the the starvation mode that my body was in, I would start eating again and I would gain all the way back plus more. And my whole entire life became just this cycle of going on starvation diet. And again, when I say starvation diet, any diet, so whole 30, all these things that you think clean eating, they are basically a fraud and phony. And the goal of all of them is just to get you to eat less calories so that you can be in a smaller body. Now, when you say things like I choose to eat this way because I feel good, of course, you should always eat in a way that makes you feel good. But if you're putting foods into good and bad categories, like if I eat that, I will feel bad. And if I eat this, I will feel good. The reality is it's all has to do with time and circumstance. It may not feel good to eat a candy bar at 11 o'clock in the morning, but it may feel wonderful to eat a candy bar at eight o'clock at night. I'm just making this up. So if you're on like, I eat clean, that means you're putting foods into good and bad
0: categories. So can, I, can thinking- I say something about that? Because I yeah. want to, I want to address that. I destroyed my body and my GI system so horrifically from age nine Until basically two years ago, where I actively from nine until 21, actively was anorexic, bulimic, and over exercise. And then from the next 20 years, I restricted and starved and and did all this. And I've created so many GI issues that I, when I say these are the foods that work for me, it's not because they're good or bad. It's because these are foods that hurt my stomach and these are foods that don't. Because, and here's the thing that I want people to understand. I did this to myself. I created a chronic medical condition that my entire life is based on. If I eat this, it's going to hurt me. And it's not even based on like fat or skinny anymore. Cause I've really gotten solid place with that. It's based on my body can't even process this because I've created so much damage.
1: I once heard you use the term clean recently. So I'm just wondering why
0: would you even use that term so it, for it me? Yeah, really I'm glad you brought that. it up for me. The, I think the word, the reason why I use the word clean is because I notice my body and my GI is less painful when I eat things that are more air quote clean, like just vegetables or fruit or things that are like brown rice, like things that don't have a lot of chemicals. When I eat things that are chemically, it hurts my stomach. I know that what you're saying is important to differentiate because you are talking about when you say things like clean versus crappy or whatever that is putting it in, this is a good food and this is a bad food. I've actually exhausted that area so badly because of how much damage I've done that I just basically choose foods based on what's going to hurt my stomach and what's not.
1: To do less damage in the world, it would stop using the word clean. That word is so toxic and damaging to women now. If people say like, you know, hey, how do you eat? Which first of all, it's none of their business. right? But if, if you have a close friend and they want to know, just be like, I listen to how my stomach feels and I eat the foods that don't give me like gastritis or whatever you want to no, say. I want
0: you to say that. Like, this is one of the cool things I love about Muscle of Self is we're all students and we're all teaching each other. Yes. And I need to know what words trigger other people and make them feel certain ways, because all I want is for people to understand that there's nothing wrong with you and yeah, how we are going about this needs to be the right way for each of us. When,
1: when you told me that you eat clean, I thought, Oh, that's so unfortunate. Carly's like deep in diet culture. <laughs> I'm she's, not. E- she's eating clean. And actually there was another episode of your podcast where you talked about, I don't care like about making my body smaller. I'm, I just want, I just want to be strong. Like strong is the new skinny for me. Okay. That's because... another totally toxic, I know, but I'm glad residual you brought that up. thing from diet culture. So I
0: want to say something about this. Cause one of the things I love about this conversation is that we get to have these discussions. So, and that's, I think ultimately Everything that comes out of our mouth needs to say for me, because not everybody needs to be strong or wants to be strong. I am a single mother and I have three boys I raise by myself and I have three animals and I live on the third floor and my garage is not attached to my house and I have anxiety. And if I don't work out every single day to help my anxiety lessen, not because I want to be a size, but because I need the fire in my chest to calm down and I can't take medication that makes you a zombie. Because I'm sober, is I need to exercise to feel strong so I can deal with my life and be part of my life in the way I want to. But I need to be mindful that that word is also damaging for people, right? And so it's also
1: been co opted by diet culture. So strong what's, is a say say what's a, a better way to say it? What's the better way? I mean. I think you could just say, I move my body because it feels good. You don't have to tell anyone that you're like, again, even using the word strong, it implies that you're trying to change something that actually you're not confident that you already are strong and you're doing this because you want to achieve a goal of being strong. The reality is that you are strong and moving your body is a very natural, normal thing to do. And it feels really good. So again, it's very similar to the food. I move my body because it feels good. I eat these foods because they feel good. Feeling good is totally normal. Replacing skinny with strong, it's just buying into the
0: toxic rhetoric. But feeling good also happens when I watch Netflix and do nothing. Exactly. However, That's why doing I that don't is really just, important. Right. But if I just do Netflix and nothing, I end up mentally not feeling good because so I need a balance. You do that? Right. So I need to find a way to express it without causing harm, which basically the longer I talk about this, the more I'm like, oh my God, there's harm everywhere. Right. So ultimately it's really just continuously unpacking. I want to get back to the specific mention you had about size and shape of my body. You said initially when you were talking about your body that today you are about body neutrality. And that one of the things that you had a very hard time with and that you differentiated was size and shape of your body. And that that was something you used to have a hard time with and that you needed to deprogram yourself. I'll pick up the story and it, it, and I think it might
1: naturally kind of come out. Basically what happened is I just continued to yo-yo diet. Never, ever, ever, ever even considering that maybe my body was just naturally a larger body. FYI, my mother is tiny naturally and my father was a big man. It's not all that surprising that when two people meet that you could have the traits of one of those parents and just that a woman could be a bigger woman because her father was a bigger man. But I never, ever, ever, ever considered that maybe my body was just not going to be like a size four, like a lot of the people that I hung out with. So... (laughs) By the time I was 39, I decided that I was going to go on another diet. I got really, really into it. And one of the reasons that I got really, really into it was... Because I wanted to be like the people around me that were also really small. And I'm sure that subconsciously, I felt that I needed to be small in order to be loved and accepted by friends and family. And at some point, I had lost a lot of weight again. And I decided that this was going to be the last time I was ever going to yo-yo again. And I was going to make it my mission to figure out why some people were small and some people were not. And what must those small people be doing to stay small? Because clearly I didn't have the magic. I didn't know what that was. And I woke up one morning and I decided, I'm gonna start a blog about this and I'm gonna interview people and I'm gonna find out, you know, how is it that they stay small? And I started interviewing people and quickly the whole thing just kind of evolved into another diet blog you know there's so many out there and it was like my journey and this is what I'm eating and these are my recipes and this is how I'm trying to stop you for a second
0: I remember this was this on Facebook you posted a lot about like you were really really into I don't know if you're
1: aware I had like a pretty popular blog within a certain subset of diet culture. Got it. So within the like, I remember, yeah, it was a whole food plant-based diet. It, It evolved into it. It didn't start out being that, but it quickly evolved into it because basically it was literally a timing issue. Every diet has its heyday. And it just happened to be that I got exposed to people that were telling me if you eliminate these foods and you only eat these foods, you will naturally be thin. You will naturally look young and beautiful like us. You will naturally this. And of course, why would I not believe that? You have beautiful people telling you, if you only eat this way, you're going to look like us. And I bought into it hook, line and sinker. And I basically spent almost the entire next decade of my life blogging about it and thinking about it and obsessing about it. And I never liked my body. Not even no when matter, you were
0: whatever size or shape, you not even to.
1: at the smallest size that I was. And not only that the staying at the small size was impossible. And I had all of a sudden I was like, I have to seek out something else because this isn't working. I, I remember
0: when you working. posted something like, I'm no longer going to be talking about this. I, like basically like, Signing off. Like, okay, well, I remember that. Next. Okay, go ahead. But this is what happens before that. So I'm deep, deep, deep into this
1: type of diet. I'm still feeling like I'm not small enough. It's not working the magic it's supposed to be working. And I find another diet to do. And, and that diet becomes my last diet. That is the diet that put me over the edge. And basically, it was a group that told you that you were addicted to food. And that you had to weigh and measure everything that went into your mouth and you had to pre-plan everything and write it down. And you actually were not allowed to exercise. I don't know how you feel about just name calling, but I don't care. It's up to you. No, I really don't care. Yeah basically, then it was like, that was my next thing. I bought into that hook, line and sinker. Oh my God. The reason why my body isn't tiny, it's because I'm a food addict and it's because I don't
0: weigh and measure my food. Which kind of goes back to your mother when you were a little girl, all that control, control, control.
1: Yes. I was always looking for some type of external way of controlling the size of my body. So I would just move on. If I wasn't getting the result that I wanted, I would just move on. Essentially I had spent most of 25 years starving it got to a point where no matter what i did i could not continue to limit and restrict as much as that group told me i needed to limit and restrict and i started talking to people it actually turned out that there was someone who was a, a leader like a big person within that organization and i was like hey i need to talk to you like on the side I can follow this plan perfectly all throughout the day. But by the end of the day, like I'm in the cookie jar. I just, I, I can't keep it together and I'm doing everything. And they had a long list of things. You have to meditate. You have to write in a journal. You have to call five people a day, like a long, to say this was my entire life. You have to listen to a coaching call. You have to do this. I was doing every single thing that they said. If I did this, I was going to be able to eat 1200 calories a day for the rest of my life. And it wasn't working. And I went to this person within the organization, and she said to me privately, Wendy, I have never seen anyone recover from their issues on this plan. And I just want to tell you, I'm leaving this organization. I don't believe in it. Wow. But I've been involved in it at the highest levels for years and profited wildly from it. So she left. And then
0: a couple of things, your whole world was like breaking, like,
1: yes, my whole world was breaking apart. And then I found out that there was another person, her name, I'll just say her name. Her name was Amy Johnson. She's like a psychologist of some sort. And she wrote a book about how to stop binge eating. And at the time I thought I was binge eating because I ate one cookie a day. So I read her book and she was really adamant that, you absolutely cannot recover. If you are dieting, you must stop dieting. And I was like, oh my God, no.
0: Were you scared?
1: Stop dieting. Yeah. I mean, I was scared. My whole world was built around dieting. My whole professional career had become this blog and helping other people diet. It was shocking, but I said, I just, I knew it was the right thing to do. I was like, I need to stop. And then very quickly after that, I was introduced to the book, Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch.
0: Everyone I talk to that's where you are is saying this.
1: And basically a combination of that book and those two women. And then there was one specific podcast called Food Psych. So that podcast has hundreds and hundreds of episodes of interviews with people who practice intuitive eating and they do it and they coach people professionally. And I just started listening to one episode, like a random episode every single day. And there were three episodes that were all interviewing the same woman. And her name was Isabel Foxen Duke. And for some reason... I really, really identified with her story.
0: Just so you know, when anyone says for some reason, it's always because um, a higher power. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> so
1: I really identified with her story. I don't think all of those episodes are still available. Maybe one or two of them are, but basically I listened to those episodes on repeat over and over. I just, I identified with it and she had an unbelievable way of explaining diet culture and why I had gotten to the place that I had gotten to and that there was really never anything wrong with me and that what was wrong
0: was diet culture it's like alcoholism right it's like finding out that the entire problem you thought the problem was alcohol but the real problem was your thinking how you think about this
1: yes So I basically needed to deprogram myself. Right. Because my, I I basically looked at it like I have been in a cult since I'm five years old. That's exactly
0: what I was thinking when you were talking about it, because when you're talking about that first woman that was really high up, that had to secretly tell you this and that she's leaving and that you're helping all these people and it's so popular. And I'm thinking she's like a cult leader that's saying I'm out. And then everyone's like, what's happening? So it's,
1: so when you said, you remember that there was a point on my blog where I said goodbye. I wrote a final blog post and I said I have entertained intuitive eating and I think I am done with blogging about dieting. This is goodbye. And when I tell you, I have never opened up that blog again and that was like approximately 4 years ago. I have ne- I it's still out there, but I don't access it and I don't write articles and I don't, I don't do anything with it. I actually
0: need to figure out how to log in and shut it down. You know, that might be really amazing closure for you because what I want everyone to understand is muscle of self is never about a diet or eating or or exercising or any program. It's about what you ultimately said at the beginning. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. We are getting close to our lightning round because we could talk about this forever. And I I find your story to be so fascinating. Will you remind me really quickly what your quotation that you brought is? Instead of focusing on what you can't control, focus on what you can create. I wanna invite you to lightning round. I have a quick question for you. So (laughs) right before you found intuitive eating and you made this decision to stop diet, when you were basically about to switch from the 10 years of the clean whole base, you know all that stuff eating to the next one, If you could talk to her from you today for a few minutes, what would you say to her?
1: Wow. I would just say, trust yourself. That's become a super big, just mantra of mine. And it turns out that my own intuition is my best teacher. And I had spent my whole entire life almost, you know, 50 years trusting other people and what they said I should do, what they said I should eat, what they said, they said, they said, and I was never trusting myself. And this intuitive eating thing is so much bigger than just about food and my body. It's about
0: trusting myself about everything. Right. Because that's where it comes down to worth. That's where it comes down to voice. Like you were talking about earlier that I need to trust the voice I hear within. If you could Picture 80 year old Wendy. So 30 years from now, what would she say to you right now?
1: You're beautiful. You were beautiful. You were
0: always beautiful. That makes me want to cry. What does it mean to be beautiful? Happy. Hmm. What does it mean to be a strong woman? I know you don't like the word strong, but I want to find the positivity of it because it's not all negative. Being Trusting strong herself. is a great thing.
1: I think strong women trust their intuition. I think weak people look outside of themselves for for everything, for the answers,
0: for validation. Approval. What do you want others to say about you? She was kind. Last two. If you found out you only have six months left to live, what do you want to do with the rest of your time? Go to Morocco. (laughs) Are you going to bring anyone with you? Mm, My kids. (laughs) (laughs) What about your husband? He, he doesn't want to travel. He won't leave work. He doesn't want, he won't leave
1: work. And he what a jerk. Travel.
0: <laughs> Last words. My mom is going to relate to that. Last words. You get one piece of advice for every woman that's listening. What do you want them to hear? Stop restricting. I'm so grateful for your honesty. I'm grateful for the challenges you brought to me. I wrote questions down that I'm going to write about for myself because I really want to make sure that I'm not putting out more harm into the world when my only goal is to say it's time for us to stop being mean to ourselves and to start caring about things that really matter, which is not any of that crap.
1: You and I are so, so, so similar in that we become so passionate about something. There's always a risk, right? I was so passionate when I was writing that blog about dieting that I was helping people and I am so wild embarrassed now that I did it because it hurt people because I only reinforced the same messages. And it's hard because I am a bit of a perfectionist deal with the fact that I made a lot of mistakes. And I guess the only thing I can do at this point is tell the story to try to repair the mistakes I make. So this is helpful to be able to tell. And you know what else?
0: Last thing is you need to be kinder to yourself about the mistakes because your journey helped you get to where you are today, which is a kinder, gentler place. And if you can't be kind and gentle to yourself about that part that you had to go through, which you would never be able to get to where you are, then you're not going to give space for anyone else to make mistakes either. So no, you're right. I, I totally get it. The perfectionist, there's a lot of us out, a lot of us women that are perfectionists. I am too. And if I can't be kind and gentle to myself, about how we went about things, Mm -hmm. then I cannot give anyone space to ever be human in my world.
1: No, you're so right. It's like energetically, if I'm putting that into my world, I'm just sending that negative energy out. And right. Why would anybody be able to be self-forgiving if I can't do it? No, you're right. It's totally worth working on.
0: Yes. And I love you. And I hope you can write a letter to that part of you that That owns and honors that you were doing the best you could at that time. You know, that whole thing that Oprah always says with Maya Angelou, if you knew better, you do better. Yeah, I mean, I know that it's true. Like
1: my logical, I know it's true. I know I was born into it. Right. I I was, I literally was groomed to become a diet blogger. Like (laughs) I didn't choose that. I don't know. The whole thing at the end of the day does have me questioning reality because it's like, if I could live a life on planet Earth, and be so falsely guided in a certain direction it just makes me question everything
0: what else am i believing right what exactly what how else am i being manipulated what else the, is the solution going on? is always going to be to what you ultimately said trust your intuition slow down and ask yourself these things i think that not only does your story need to keep being told But I think that the world needs to listen to your voice on a more consistent basis with that message. There's nothing wrong with you. Trust your intuition and stop talking about the whole food stuff at all. It's talking about you share your story about it, but you're ultimately talking about at the end of the day, we have to look within and listen within and know, does this feel okay to me? Right. So I do have a podcast. Yay! What is it? Tell us. It's
1: called Show Up or Shut Up with Wendy Solganic. And it's the Willow Wanders podcast, but you can find it just by searching Show Up or Shut Up. I and will add it. It's a it's a podcast about art and life. Definitely the theme is trust yourself. We don't talk about food, which is, I think, so refreshing. Because here's another interesting thing that I noticed. When you're in another world that's not even food related, diet culture is constantly creeping in. So you could be listening to, I'll be listening to a podcast with two artists that are talking to each other. And suddenly one of them is talking about how she needs to lose X amount of pounds and she's eating, you know, a different diet now. And I'm like, holy crap. I was here to listen about, to you guys talk about art. And now I'm listening to you talk
0: about your new diet. Like I didn't sign up for this. I love that you just said that. Thank you so much. I love you so much. I love you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate, review, and share with your lady friends. If you're ready to do the work it's going to take to love yourself as you are, your body, your worth, and your voice, please reach out to me at carlyisrael.com and we can connect. I offer one-on-one private coaching virtually as well as small intimate groups. It's going to take a ton of work and a lot of commitment on your part, but I promise to be in your corner. I hope you have an amazing day and I hope you spread the light you feel with others so they can feel it too. la 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 la